Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Turn Evangelism Podcast with T.S. Myers. Our prayer is that this message impacts your life. If it does, let us know by going to turnevangelism.com forward slash connect and let us know how God used this message to influence you. If you would like to follow our ministry, we would love for you to go to turnevangelism.com and check us out. I got a question for you as a church body. Do you want to see God's power? I'm going to ask that again. Do you want to see God's power? Now, here's the thing. Some of you think that power comes from status. Others in this room that might think that it comes through politics. Like if I get the right job, I'm going to have power. And I think that there are certain controls that you get, certain power that you get from those things. But that's not the power that God wants you to have, the power that's found in the Scriptures. When Paul went to town to town and he preached, he preached with a demonstration of power from the Spirit of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, just listen along. You don't have to open there. Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I want you to think about that for a second. Many people can stand up in a pulpit or a stage or even in front of a, a crowd and, and, and give a motivational speech. But the power that we preach comes from God himself, and it doesn't come from us just preaching anything. It comes from the message about Christ. How do I know this? Well, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, what is it referring to? The gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So the power of God comes through the message of God, which is the gospel of God. And so when it's preached and it's embraced, it's going to look a certain way in your life. And when you surrender to the God of the gospel, you also are incorporated into his church. And when you're incorporated into his church and Jesus is your Lord and the Lord says to do something a certain way, well then... We're supposed to do it. God's power comes when we properly handle what God has entrusted to us. God's will, God's way. Today I want to focus on that word, entrusted. You've been entrusted with the message of God that is the power of God to salvation for everyone. That is a heavy responsibility. It's a great honor, but there's also a great weight to it. And we need to have fear of God when it comes to the message he's given us. A great respect for God. And I want us to think about that and let it sink in. The weight of the message and responsibility that he's laid at the church's feet. And I want to ask, do you take it seriously? Will you, if you don't, by the end of this week, will you take it seriously? Some quick background on Titus. The book is dated around A.D. 62 to 66. 
probably after Paul's first Roman imprisonment and before his second. The author is obviously Paul. The recipient is Titus, who's a young Greek associate of Paul's. He's a young Greek convert, and this guy, Titus, received some of the most difficult assignments from Paul. He was an apostolic negotiator in Corinth, and if you know anything about that church, that was not a church you really wanted to be negotiating at. That church had a lot of problems. And Paul left him on the island of Crete. It was rich in religious lore, and it had a lot of pagan philosophy. It's an island about 146 miles long, located in the Mediterranean Sea. It's below Greece and Turkey, and it's the mythical birthplace of Zeus. So that's a false god. He's like the big false god, right? And it's famous for the legend of the Minotaur. He's a half-bull, half-man. So after Paul's first Roman imprisonment, the two, Titus and Paul, were successfully evangelizing this island, and for whatever reason... Now, let me backtrack for a second. The two were successful in evangelizing this island. It could have happened when they were uh, docked there in the book of Acts, when he's in Fair Havens, when he docks at Fair Havens on Crete. Maybe that's where it all started. But later on, he wants to go back to the island. But for whatever reason, Paul did not stay long enough this time around to set the churches in order, and he gave the charge to Titus for him to set the churches in order there. Not just one church, churches. And that order that Paul told Titus to set is put in place for us to learn from today. So God will work powerfully in the church who listens to the order that Paul recommended to Titus. So will you listen? We need to listen. What is God saying? Now, the Holy Spirit might be speaking to your heart right now. But he's going to continue to speak even more clearly so that you don't have to question whether it's the Spirit or not as we open up the Word together and we read the Word of God that was inspired by the Spirit of God and we take it seriously together. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Titus chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. Titus chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. So in order to properly handle what God has entrusted to us, so that we can actually experience the power of God as the church, the first point that I want you to remember tonight is that we must surrender. Surrender. What does it mean to surrender? It means to stop your work and to let God work. It means when he says go, you go where he calls you to go. It doesn't mean you go out and do your own thing doesn't mean you go out and get in front of God. It means you prayerfully consider what he wants. And when his word speaks, you say yes, because Jesus is Lord. So Titus chapter 1, verse 1, I want you to notice how Paul opens this letter to Titus. So this isn't written to a church. It's written to an individual, Titus. And when Paul, the apostle, which by the way, apostle is like the highest position you could have in the church. It sets the foundation. We study the apostles' teachings to this day. But notice what Paul does right in verse 1. He doesn't come out of the gate saying, I have apostolic authority, so listen to me. That's not his first description of himself. Right out of the gate, he says something. He says, in Titus chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, 
a servant of God. Now this word is also the word, I believe, for slave. Paul, a servant of God, the first word out of the apostle's mouth. And then he says what God has called him to do as a servant. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. It is very interesting to me that the first thing Paul identifies with is not how grand his mission is, how great his title is, but he identifies in the lowliest position as a servant of God. And because he humbles himself, because of who he is, God has humbled him. As a servant of God, God lifts him up to the apostolic position. We can learn something about leadership there, can't we? I want you to think about that one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So he's a slave of Christ. And as that slave, God gives him a mission as an apostle, one who is sent. And in sending him, his mission is to further the faith to further people's knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And this message which has been entrusted to him is the message that Paul is called to preach. Entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. Then he says, To Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So who did Paul look to? Notice he didn't look to himself first. The first one, and the reason he has the ministry that he has, is because the first one that he looked to was God. It was God. How do we know? Look at the first verse. He's a servant of God. Before he ever talks about his position, he talks about his relationship with God. He is a slave of God. Then Paul talks about his position as a servant only after it's been received from God. And how often do we give ourselves titles, even in the church or maybe out there in the world, that aren't really full of the power of God because they haven't been given to us by God. Spiritual gifts are spiritual gifts because they're spiritually given. You cannot just claim one for yourself. I want us to be careful. We don't want to get out in front of God. In the book of Acts, you see Paul and Barnabas being set aside for the work of the ministry. But before they're ever set aside for the work of the ministry, the Bible says that the whole congregation, they were ministering to the Lord. Very interesting. And then the Spirit says to them, send out for me, Paul, And Barnabas. Ministering to the Lord first. They came into the church 
And their ministry was not first to the poor. That's a good ministry. I don't want you not to do that ministry. It wasn't first to the sick. It wasn't first to the Sunday school. It wasn't first to the small group or life group. It wasn't first to the music ministry. They were ministering first to the Lord. And this is something we need to understand as a church. Your first ministry, your primary ministry is to the Lord first. You come here for him, asking him, God, what do you want? And then he sends you out and he gifts you. And then when you go, you go in his power. Is God first in your life? Now, I do want you to love others, but that's the second greatest commandment. The first and greatest commandment is love God. You must love him first and then you'll properly love others. If you got it backwards, you're not loving others right. I guarantee it. Paul's mission was from God as an apostle. It wasn't his mission. It wasn't, this sounds like a great idea. I want to go out and try this. It was God-given. And because of that, he had great confidence when he was talking. Think about that. If God gave you a mission and you were certain of it, and you went out, and you met opposition, you'd say, okay, the world might be against me, but God is for me. So who could be against me? God sent Paul. God sent Titus as well. God sent Paul to spread the faith of the church, to spread the hope of eternal life that comes through God's promise. What is God's promise for you? God's promise is this, and this is the message that Paul preached with power. That if you were to die, you could be okay. Because you could spend eternity with God. And this is a promise that God has given to you. And it was sealed with something that he did for you. And that he did in our timeline 2,000 years ago on the cross. And that wasn't just him dying on the cross, by the way. It was him dying on the cross for your sins. And it wasn't just him taking on your sins. It was also a covenant. A covenant is a promise. And it was a promise guaranteeing eternal life for those who believe. Not just eternal life. That's the promise or the hope for the future. But also life that starts eternally right now. So that if you come to know Jesus Christ today, you can walk out of these doors knowing that you were born again. Eternal life does not start when you die. It starts the moment you surrender your life to Jesus and you accept the promise of God and you see the hope that that promise gives you and you say, God, I can't do anything. I know I'm a sinner. I agree with you about my sin and I'm going to do my best to give up my sin. I put it on the cross And then God guarantees you something for your future. That's your hope. And because his promise is sure, he gives you something right now, his spirit, as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, as as an instrument of sanctification in your heart, so that you could walk knowing that you can get better that you won't stay in your sin, that if you continually come to God and get closer and closer to Him with genuine sorrow in your heart for your sins, your heart will be changed. And so we see this is a new covenant of God, 
Not one that's based on human works, but based on the work of Christ alone, where he takes your heart of stone, the heart that couldn't get over the sin, but because he's good and he puts that heart on the cross, he puts inside of you, upon your belief, a heart of flesh. And the more and more you come to him, the more and more he changes you so that you start to reflect as the body of Christ what he looks like. And so then we come together as a body, as one unit, so that we look like Christ. Now here's the thing. And now this is a little deep, okay? I alone cannot fully look like Christ. We as a body need to be together to look like Christ. We are many members and we all don't share the same gifts. We have different gifts, and together, when people look at us as a body, they see Christ when we are one. That's when Christ is shown. Now, do I want you to reflect Christ? Do I want you to have a gentle Christ-like attitude? Yes, I do. But the complete fullness of Christ is going to be seen by the outside world, and you're going to make the invisible God visible when you come together as a church, and you stop being an I or a me, and you start becoming a we And us, we are the body of Christ. We are his temple. I am not his temple. It is us. It is we. Together. You cannot be a Christian genuinely and not have fellowship with other believers. 1 John 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Do you see that? The natural outflow of God's presence and work in your heart is going to be you fellowshipping with other believers. We have fellowship with one another, the church. When I was in college, I I really discovered what it means for the power of God to work through me and help me to overcome my sins. And you know what it was? It wasn't me becoming some super spiritual person. It was actually just me understanding who I was in Christ. Who he had made me to be. And encouraging me to be who I've become. That if you have Christ in you, you already have everything you need for life and godliness. If you live in your flesh, if you live in your own strength, you won't be able to do the things that God's calling you to do. But if you crucify your flesh, if you put it on the cross and you understand that Christ lives in you, I've got a question for you. You might struggle with patience, but does Jesus struggle with patience? Jesus lives in you. You might struggle with self-control, but does Jesus struggle with self-control? No. Jesus lives in you. Jesus Christ is in your heart. And so we need to get to the point where we can say like Paul, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, and yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ in me. Or in Colossians chapter 2, when it talks about how how when Christ who is our life appears, then we're also going to appear with him in glory. And that our life is hidden with Christ in God. He is our identity. He's that transforming agent in our hearts. And through the Spirit of God, he gets his hands in our hearts. And once again, he takes out our heart of stone and he puts in us a heart of flesh. A few years back, Carrie Underwood came out with a famous song called Jesus Take the Wheel. Do you guys remember it? You know, I think it's a really well-intentioned song. 
It's bad theology, of course. Christianity is not about Jesus taking the wheel when life gets hard. It's about a point in time in your life where you surrender and you give Jesus Christ the driver's seat and you get out of the way and you let him take it all. You surrender the throne of your heart to him and you continually do this throughout your entire life. You die to yourself daily and you take up your cross and you follow him and that might be hard but you'll look like Jesus doing it. So, surrender. In order to properly handle what has been entrusted to us, we need to surrender to Jesus Christ. Secondly, in order to properly handle what's been entrusted to us and for us to experience the power of God, we must also seek. Seek out proper leadership, and also seek to be proper leaders. Now, I know you all have good pastors here, so I want, when I read over this list, I want you guys to think about the people you follow or the people you strive to be, because the pastoral example that we see that Titus is, is given by Paul to find you know, these pastors on, on Crete, they're good examples for leadership, for us to be able to look to. And we must be able to seek out leadership or seek to be certain types of leaders so that we could emulate that type of leadership and we could be a good example of Christ. Now listen, I want us to go over this right now. So Titus chapter 1, verse 5, we're going to see what an elder or a pastor of the church is supposed to look like. Let's read it together. Titus chapter 1, 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless. Hmm. A leader of the church represents the Christian ideal. Someone who leads the charge in what Christians should look like. This presumably is why they are Christian leaders and not just any other type of leader. You might have the best leadership qualities in the world, but maybe you're not fit to be a Christian leader. You must be above reproach. You must be blameless if you aspire to be a pastor. And I would even say this, anyone who wants to be a leader in this church or any church needs to be like this as well because you represent someone who's holy. You need to be faithful to your wife. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent or contentious, not pursuing dishonest gain, not greedy. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, that is, he has a sound mind, he's got a safe mind. Upright, holy, and disciplined. He's got to be self-controlled. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and not just encourage others, so we all love being encouraged, but the other side of the coin is this, and refute those who oppose it. It is the pastor or the leader's 
responsibility, not only to encourage you, but also to rebuke you when you're not following the scriptures. That should challenge some hearts in here who are like, man, I just want them to be more sensitive or things of this nature. If it's in the scripture, now I'm not saying they shouldn't come or people shouldn't come and give you loving rebuke, okay? But if it's in the scripture, we submit to the scripture because Jesus is Lord, remember? If you look to God as a slave, you'll seek him out in others. What kind of leaders are you looking to? Now, you've got some good leaders here to look to, but in your everyday life, who do you gravitate towards to lead your own life? If you look to God as his servant, you're going to seek him out in others. You'll seek to follow men who follow him because he is your master and no one else. And you love him. And when you find someone else who loves him, you're going to love that person too. A powerful church has people and follows people that are directed and moved by God's spirit and not by their own will. People who really know the truth are slaves to God and walk in godliness. In seminary, I had a friend, when I talked to her, it was like talking to Christ. Now, I wasn't talking to Christ. I was talking to Anna, right? But she, she knew Christ so well that when you were around her, you knew you were also around Jesus. It's powerful. Do you know someone like that? Have you experienced someone like that who is that close to the Lord that you want to keep being around them because you love the Lord so much? That's what we're supposed to be as a church. And that's who you're supposed to look for in your leaders. Is your life leading people to Christ? It's one thing to talk about Jesus. It's another thing to show him. Do you want to be a leader in this church? Oh, I wish I could be a leader. Are you ready to be a leader? Are you showing Jesus like this passage is asking you to show Jesus? And let me challenge you, maybe you're not ready. You could be. How? Surrender. And then start hanging out with people who look like Jesus. Who do you follow? What do your role models look like in the world right now? Do you want to follow people who follow Christ? Or are you following the trends in the world? Surrender to Christ. That's your first step. And then seek out godly leadership. Did this message draw you closer to God or did you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior today? We want to hear about it. Let us know by going to turnevangelism.com forward slash connect and fill out the form at the bottom of the page and tell us what God did in your life through this message. Also, if you would like to bring T.S. Myers out to do ministry with your church or organization, send us a message on our website, turnevangelism.com. Thank you for joining us for this message from Turn Evangelism with T.S. Myers.